Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Make Walters your spot before and after this Sunday's D.C. Defenders game, which is this Sunday at noon at Audi Field. Register online for your first beer on us. Go to waltersdc.com and click on events. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's Alex Call. He ropes one to left center field. That's a base hit. Headed home to score is Thomas. Abrams right behind him. He will score. And Alex Call, the former Guardian, has a two-run single. And the Nationals a 3-0 lead here in the fourth inning. The 1-0. Swing a blast to right center field for Bell. He gets into this one. It is going, going, and gone. Over the big wall in right center field. Josh Bell's first home run as a Guardian comes at the expense of his former teammates, the Nationals. It's now the Nationals 3 and the Guardians 2. And Edwards delivers. Check swing roller up the third base line. Runner breaking for the plate. Abrams will have to throw to first. It's in time for the out, but a run scores. And the Guardians take the lead. And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, April 15th, 2023. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Mark Zuckerman is off for this installment of the pod. And so I am joined by the man who runs the pod, the boss, Tim Shovers. Uh, he is with us. It's good to have him with us. It's good to have you with us. Uh, we are coming to you here of yet another one-run Nationals loss. Boy, we're getting used to these things. Uh, a 4-3 loss to the Cleveland Guardians at Nationals Park on Friday night in Game 1 of a three-game series. The Nats now are 4-10. Each of their last five losses has been by two runs or less, with four of those five losses being one-run losses. Uh, Tim, the Nats are in these games. I mean, the Nats are not getting, like, smashed. The Nats are not getting routed. The Nats are not getting embarrassed. But uh, the Nats do continue to lose these games. Three consecutive losses now and 10 losses in 14 games in this regular season. Yeah, Al, I know that the win-loss record is obviously very poor, 4-10. and 10. And last year, for instance, believe it or not, they had a better start. They were 6-7 and seven before they went on a long losing streak. However, anecdotally speaking, it just feels like these games are much, much more competitive. I know that's loser talk, but we are talking about a team that's had a rough eight-plus months of baseball. So tonight, this game was a really disappointing one, I would say, and we'll get into it. You know, Having that 3-0 lead and then seeing it disappear and just the bats doing absolutely nothing in the back half of the game. But overall, Al, I look at the road trip they just came off of. They were within an eyelash of having a winning road trip. They play a one-run game tonight. I do feel like things are just a bit better than they were on tax day of 2022, for instance. 
you are getting a more professional output from the team this season. You know, now, you know, we are only 14 games into the 162. But yeah, I mean, it does look better. Certainly the recent scores have been better. And, you know, the more we get away from those back-to-back series to begin things for the Nats in the regular season, you know, the three games against Atlanta, the three games against Tampa Bay, it more and more feels like, hey, you faced two really good teams to begin the season. Some of those scores uh, were not close. But since then, the Nats have been, you know, a respectable team. And, you know, a lot of this is framed by your expectations coming into the season. But yeah, I mean, I'm with you on that. And how about this regarding the Nats and the Rays? So the Rays are unbeaten no more, 13-1 and to begin their regular season. But prior to the Rays' loss, it was the Nationals who had come the closest to beating the Rays this season. The Nats, as you may recall, April 4th led going into the ninth inning. So, you know, not that one game really dictates anything or represents anything, but that was kind of a quirky, fun thing that prior to the Rays' first loss, it was the Nationals who had come the closest to beating the mighty Rays. Yes, indeed. But that loss gets to along the lines of some of the recent losses, which is where the bullpen hasn't hung on. And so now you look at really a week plus, and that's three games when you look at the Kyle Finnegan implosion, the one where they didn't get it done on the road trip, and then Friday evening against Cleveland. Yeah, the bullpen, you know, had a really good series against the Angels, as we discussed on the podcast. Friday night was not a particularly good night for the pen. And, you know, we can get right to it here. So the Nationals on Friday night got a good outing from starting pitcher Trevor Williams. I want to get to that because he's been good for the Nats so far. But yet three relievers for the Nats on Friday night combining to allow three runs, two earned in four innings. Hunter Harvey, two runs, one and two thirds innings with three strikeouts. He at times in his appearance looked terrific, but he also had some problems. He came into the game top of the six, runners on first and third, no outs, Nats up 3 nothing. He promptly induced a 6-3 double play on which a run did score, but Harvey then struck out the Guardians' number five batter, Andres Jimenez, on three pitches for the third out. So you say, all right, all things considered, nice job by Harvey there. But then he, in the top of the seventh, gave up a leadoff homer by our old pal, the ex-Nat Josh Bell, on a bottom to center field to cut the Nats' lead to 3-2. And then Harvey gave up a single and two two-out walks to load the bases. Carl Edwards Jr. then came into the game. He officially ended up allowing one run unearned in one and a third innings. He came into the game, though, top of the seventh, bases loaded two outs, Nats up 3-2, and he issued a five-pitch bases loaded walk of Jose Ramirez to tie the game at three. And then Edwards in the top of the eighth gave up that unearned run. He began the inning by committing a fielding error. He botched the fielding of a leadoff tamper by Andres Jimenez. Edwards then gave up a first pitch double by, yes, Josh Bell to deep right center field. And then Edwards induced a first pitch run scoring ground out off the bat of Will Brennan. And that's how the Guardians went up 4-3 and the Guardians ended up winning the game 4-3. Hobie Harris uh, did toss a perfect top of the ninth. So, you know, you had interspersed in there some good stuff from Nats relievers, but you also had way too many walks. You had the giving up of the home run by Josh Bell, uh, Hunter Harvey giving that up. And um, you just had, in a game in which the Nats once again didn't score many runs, you needed better from the bullpen. And the Nats, unfortunately, did not get better on Friday night. And Josh Bell has been really struggling so far this season in his new tenure with Cleveland. And the two best hits he's had all year came against the bullpen late in the game, including the home run. So just a bad night. I will say, though, the positive value, you mentioned it, you talked about Hunter Harvey. He was throwing 100 a few times. So I do want to give him credit where credit is due. But otherwise, a disappointing end to the evening. Yeah, so Josh Bell, I mean, we've become used to this, right? We know this well when he's up 
he's way up. And when he's down, he's way down. And he can struggle something fierce. And even with what he did on Friday night, Josh Bell for the Guardians here so far this regular season, OPS of just 507. I mean, he is not off to a good start. Remember, we saw this a couple of years ago in his first season with the Nats. But man, he did look comfortable on Friday night. And those were like vintage Josh Bell hits. I mean, he's a big dude. We know that he's got a lot of strength. And he clobbered those two baseballs on those hits, you know, hit him deep, hit him hard. And he, you know, if he didn't know better, you'd think that Josh Bell was uh, at his peak form of, of, say, you know, the second half of 2021 or, or last season, as opposed to having uh, struggled so far this year. He looked just fine, uh, at least in game one of this series. I think he's just one of the streakiest hitters I've ever watched on a day in and day out basis. It's really incredible how he, he goes from his valleys and peaks to go back and forth on Friday night, as you said, another great example. Yeah, he really is like that. That's true. And, I, you know, I guess with him, it's like you can't get sucked into the moment. You really have to look at the bigger picture with him and see, okay, at the end of the year, where are we? Because he'll drive you nuts if you, if you just take like a two-week cut of his season and you say, okay, how's he doing? Because he may be doing nothing for those two weeks. And then two weeks later, he might catch fire. But He was productive for the Guardians on Friday night. So I mentioned Trevor Williams. Trevor Williams has done a nice job so far as the Nationals. Well, I guess in theory, what is he? Is he their number three starter? I guess you would say that, right, in terms of like expectations for the year. I mean, what do you put Corbin? You put Corbin number four, number five, Chad Cool number four, number five. So Williams at best is your number three. But I, I tell you what, if you're going off what everyone did last season, Trevor Williams would be your number one just because he's the guy with the best season last season. You know, when you compare his 2022 to Corbin's and Cools and Josiah Gray's and, you know, Mackenzie Gore, obviously not a big body of work, but Trevor Williams is doing a nice job. And I thought on Friday night, he was good for a third time in three outings here. He allowed one run in five innings. Uh, He gave up four hits, two doubles and two singles. Uh, He did issue two walks and a hit by pitch. Like we said, walks were an issue for Nats pitching in this game. He recorded only two strikeouts, and he, over his five innings, did throw a lot of pitches, 95 pitches. You know, it's funny. Normally, when a starter has a high pitch count like that, it's at least in small part due to the pitcher having recorded a lot of strikeouts and or having issued a lot of walks. He only had two strikeouts and two walks in this game from Williams, but he just had some plate appearances in which uh, guys just drove up the pitch count. And so he threw 95 pitches over five innings. But the only run that was charged to Williams came on a double play uh, with him out of the game. And, you know, I mentioned him giving up two doubles. One of the doubles was uh, not a true double. 3-2 pitch. Swinging a fly ball to deep center field. Robles spins all the way around and then leaps and missed the ball. It lands on the warning track and bounces over the fence. Boy, Robles got all turned around with that line drive right at him. Did the full pirouette and didn't get a lot on his jump. As a result, he wasn't in great position to jump. Lead-off full-count ground rule double by Ahmed Rosario to conclude a 10-pitch plate appearance. So there's part of why Trevor Williams' pitch count got up so high. But that lead-off ground rule double by Rosario that happened in that one-run Guardian sixth, it came on a ball that was misjudged uh, by Victor Robles in center field, and the ball then bounced over the wall. I mean, the play should have resulted in an out. wasn't necessarily the easiest fly ball in the history of fly balls to catch, but that was a very playable fly ball. And Robles just misjudged it. I mean, we haven't seen many like Roblesian plays so far this season. We unfortunately saw one right there, and it uh, proved to be costly. I've been a big defender and a big forgiver of Robles over the years, and I, I'm still one of those guys that wants to give it one more shot 
and I've been really excited by the start so far offensively in early April. But man, you used Robleson right there, Al, and that's the proper way to say it. It's just why do these plays happen? We haven't had one of them on the bases yet, right? Am I right? We haven't had one of them. Those are the true ones. But yeah, it's just not only was that a poor play, but it just came at such a crucial time, as you said. Nats are winning. We're in the you know later stage of the game, and then this play happens, and you knew, uh oh, because. Trevor Williams had one more inning in him max. And so the second that happened, it's like, okay, the pen's probably going to have to come in in the six. Now we're looking at 10 to 12 outs from the bullpen. And the whole game really changed after that one play. Yeah, that was tough. And, you know, Robles last season did get back to being very good defensively. And so I don't want to hammer him for this because, you know, it seemed like sort of an honest mistake that, you know, outfielders uh, will make over the course of a season but that was tough to watch, and he did kind of look a bit too casual on that play. But, I, you know, I don't know if it just looked that way. I mean, it, like I said, it wasn't the easiest fly ball to catch. But with his speed, he got back in plenty of time to make the catch. He just misjudged where the ball was going and ended up landing behind him. Uh, and then, like I said, bounced over the wall. So really tough break right there. But overall, I mean, Trevor Williams, look, I, I don't want to overstate what he's done. But just going through his, his three starts here so far in the regular season. So he, in his first start, four runs, three earned in five innings. So, okay, he wasn't great in that game, but, you know, he was so-so in the game. His next outing, two runs in five and a third innings, four strikeouts versus no walks. And then what we had on Friday night, one run in five innings. I mean, again, number four starter, number three starter, however you want to sort of frame them. You're not asking for, you know, one run in eight innings, start in, start out. Can you be solid? And can you be like dependably solid? And I feel like he has been that so far this season. Yeah, I really like what I've seen from him. I think he's a five and dive guy. Is that fair to say? And so that's going to be interesting to see if, if there's any games where he can tickle that sixth inning, if possible. So you probably need the A bullpen lined up with him fresh and ready to go on evenings where you know that you might need uh, at least four innings from him. But I like what I see so far out. He's First off, and we talked earlier about how the team's more competitive. He's a serviceable major league pitcher. A year ago at this time, this staff did not have that, did not have five guys like that. Yoan Adon, for instance, was in the opening day rotation. He's not Yoan Adon. He's a real major league pitcher. Considering the circumstances, I thought it was a wise signing in the offseason. Yeah, and it's a two-year contract, too, so they have him for next season. You know, the phrase five and dive has become funny because that was like a real insult a few years ago. That's now what like most starting pitchers are, five and dive. Like honestly, if you get five innings out of your starting pitcher these days, it's almost considered a win. That's like, oh, okay, that, that's good. That's you know, he he pitched, he, he gave you a chance to win. I mean, it used to be you turn your nose at a guy who would only last for five innings. Now it's kind of like, yeah, you know what? That's not too bad. You know, one run in five innings, two runs in five innings, that kind of a thing. There's no doubt the bar has been so lowered on starting pitching in terms of how many innings uh, you pitch. There's no question. Uh, about that. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kate Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nat's chat sponsor, Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfis has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half 
of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red hot antitrust, IP litigation, white collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Even in the quote unquote slow first quarter of 2023, Mason Kalfas worked with three different lawyers who doubled the compensation their previous law firms were paying those lawyers. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years. In fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. He is Scott Boris-like when it comes to law firm partner contracts, and Mason Kalfas will negotiate you a new and better contract today. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now the 1-0. Swing a blast to left center field. This is well struck. Back on its draw to the warning track. Looking up and it's gone. Four rows into the brew house. Red seats and opposite field home run for Luis Garcia. Number one this season. And the Nationals have the game's first run. The Nationals won the Guardians nothing. Well, you know, we talk about the bullpen and we talk about the Robles play in the field. But, you know, bottom line, this was another game in which the Nats didn't do much offensively. Three runs, eight hits, although one of the hits was a home run. Yes, we did have a Nationals home run on Friday night. Just the sixth Nationals home run over 14 games in this regular season. By the way, the Nats and the Guardians are the two worst teams in the majors so far in terms of hitting home runs. The Guardians have seven home runs. The Nationals have six home runs. So if you're headed out to Nats Park this weekend and are looking for offensive fireworks, uh, don't be stunned if you don't get those fireworks. But anyway, the Nats did have a homer, also had a double in this game to go with six singles, uh, did work three walks. But Luis Garcia on Friday night, getting on base four times. Uh, He was the Nationals' number five batter. Uh, He went two for two with a solo homer, a single, and a couple of walks. Uh, Garcia and the Nats Three-run fourth. Yes, we did have a three-run inning for the Nats in this game. A one-out solo homer to left center field, 400 feet per stat cast. Also for 
Garcia, bottom of the second, a one-out single to center field on an 0-2 pitch in a nice piece of hitting. And then the two walks, uh, two two-out walks, bottom of the fifth, a two-out walk, bottom of the seventh, a two-out walk. So some good stuff from Luis Garcia in this game, although he did make uh, the final out in the game. You also had a couple of hits from Lane Thomas in addition to another outfield assist. Uh, Lane Thomas was the Nats' number seven batter on Friday night, two for four with two singles, uh, a stolen base, and that outfield assist. Outfield assist, top of the third. The 2-0. Swing a line drive, hook to right. This is trouble. It's going to be down. Thomas chases over, cuts it off. Ramirez trying for second. Thomas with a good arm. Fires on two hops to Abrams. The tag is in time. He's out. What a cannon shot from Lane Thomas in the right field corner. Gunning down Ramirez, trying to leg it into a double. You know, with Lane Thomas, center field, little tricky for him. It's not like awful defensively in center, but we've seen him have some issues, especially when it comes to navigating fly balls deep in center field and have a feel for where the outfield wall is. But man, this guy is throwing out runners like crazy so far this season as the Nats every game right fielder. And it's not even just that. He makes plays close. Like even when he doesn't get the outfield assist, he makes plays close and he absolutely gives opposing teams something to think about when it comes to trying to run on him, run on balls, hit to him. His arm really is emerging as a weapon. I really like that throw tonight. That was a great throw. Abrams made a nice tag as well. I think credit should be given there. You tell me. I know you you look at the fangraph stuff more closely than me, but at least according to the eye test, is it fair to say that Lane Thomas has a better arm in right field than Juan Soto? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would say that. You know, Soto's arm wasn't or isn't uh, like woeful, but Lane Thomas's arm is a real weapon. It really is kind of slapping you across the face in, in this early portion of the season. It feels like every game his arm does something, either an assist or like I said, you know, he makes a play close or a runner doesn't try to stretch, say, a single into a double because of Lane's arm, that kind of a thing. Yeah, I mean, one of my real hopes for this Nats season is that the defense does take a big step forward. And I feel like that potential is so there. And I think, you know, we've seen that the defense these last few weeks, I think it's been good. But, you know, like you go around the diamond, I think you have a chance to be good defensively at every spot or at least competent defensively at every spot. And with the outfield, I mean, especially Robles in center, Thomas in right, that's a pretty good tandem in terms of two thirds of your outfield to where those guys uh, can be real positives for you. And, you know, I think Alex Call can play a nice left field. We've seen him do some nice things at times. So, yeah, good to see that from Lane Thomas. So he had two hits in the game. Uh, Luis Garcia had two hits in the game. And Jamer Candelario was your uh, other national who had two hits in the game. He was an ads cleanup batter, two for five uh, with a double and a single. But, you know, you also had some rough games here. Joey Manessis, uh, 0 for 5 in the game. Boy, he is really off to a rough start. Remember, still without a home run in this regular season here. And, you know, not to keep beating up on Victor Robles, but he went 0 for 5 in this game as an at's number nine batter. And he struck out in a big spot. Bottom of the second, he struck out on four pitches with the bases loaded and two outs. Those moments end up being magnified by like times 10 because the Nats aren't very good offensively. And so when they have a spot like that, you know, bases loaded and they don't come through, it sticks with you because you know there may not be another opportunity like that again over the course of the game. Yeah, the real bummers on the Robles at bats early on. He had the bases loaded in the second, like you mentioned, and in the fourth. The second, he was swinging out of his shoes early on in that at bat. 
and you could tell exactly where this one was headed, and it resulted with him with strike three. And then another disappointing at bat in the fourth, the bases were loaded, but he had a very weak chopper over to third, and that resulted in an easy toss for Ramirez to get the out at home on the force out. And as I said, I root for Victor Robles really, really hard. I'm giving him one more shot in 2023, but those two at-bats in a vacuum did not do him any favors. No, I mean, it was shades of the Robles of 2020 and 2021 and 2022. And, you know, he has cooled off here a bit offensively. But, you know, again, it's kind of like the Josh Bell thing. You can't get sucked into arriving at a full definitive conclusion off a few games. Like, you really have to let the season breathe in a spot like the Nats are in, rebuild. You let the guy play and you see what happens. I mean, in most other situations, he would not be getting still an opportunity here to establish himself as the Nationals every game center fielder, but this is kind of where they're at. So he's getting what we think is his final shot to be the Nats' number one center fielder, but who knows? Next season, we might be dancing this dance one more time, but not his best game on Friday night. Hey, Nat Chat listeners, Tim Shovers here, producer of the podcast, to tell you about game time. Do you struggle sometimes to find tickets to your favorite events? Buying tickets to these shouldn't be stressful. That's why you should look into the Game Time app. It's even harder these days with the lack of paper tickets available on the street. If you're looking for tickets to Nats, DC United, or even the Drake concert this summer, Game Time offers the lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, and job loss protection. Game Time is the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account at GameTime.co and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Breaking news from the NFL, the Commanders are about to have a new owner. Our Jonathan Jones reporting that current owner Daniel Snyder has reached an agreement in principle to sell the team to a group led by 76ers and New Jersey Devils owner Josh Harris for around $6 billion. That move would close the book on the Snyder era in D.C. All right, well, the last 48, 72 hours in Washington, D.C. sports have been bonkers. There has been so much going on when you consider, I mean, look, the hockey team is no more with its head coach. I mean, there was that late Friday. Peter Laviolette is out as Capitals head coach. But yeah, there also is this thing of the football team, the Washington Commanders, in the process of being sold. And we on Thursday afternoon had multiple reports of Dan Snyder having reached an agreement with Josh Harris to sell the team to Harris for $6.05 billion. Now, to tie this into the Nats. So first of all, at Nationals Park on Friday night, there was at one point an F Dan Snyder chant. There was that same chant at a DC Defenders game at Audi Field a few weeks ago. And we actually had that chant, however brief, at Nationals Park on Friday night. But you were at Nats Park for a portion of the game. I know you have some thoughts on this uh, sale of the Commanders, which you know is not final yet. And it's only in agreement. And it, the agreement hasn't even been signed. So it's not even definite that Harris is getting a team. But I mean, we are nearing the end of the Dan Snyder reign of terror. 
And But also, of course, we have the Nationals and their ownership uncertainty. And I know uh, you had some things that you wanted to get into. Yeah, uh, thanks, Al. First off, everyone should uh, go check out Al Galdi's podcast uh, Friday morning. You had a great reaction to that. So want to give a plug there. Uh, no one knows the commanders and their history better than Al, and you'll get his unfiltered thoughts there. So just want to give you that, that plug. But why I wanted to talk about this through a Nats prism, Al, is because I think that this week and Thursday in particular when the news broke, the Sportico report that Josh Harris was buying the team, I think it was a great day for the Washington Nationals. And let me explain why I think that. I subscribe to Rising Tides Lift All Boats. The NFL is the most popular sport in this country. That's obviously beyond argument at this point. And it's been a toxic brand in town. It's not been good for local sports that the NFL team is, has been un- unpopular as it is. And so any sort of the NFL team being a little bit more popular just makes sports more popular, make local sports more popular. And the more people that follow sports in this city, to me, are more and more people that are going to watch an inning or two of a baseball game and maybe even go to a baseball game. So that's more and more groups of 15-year-olds who are meeting on the weekends to watch games together. And those people rub off. And next thing you know, they start talking about Joey Manessis and Luis Garcia. So I overall, in the big picture, think that Thursday was not just a good day, but a great day for the Washington Nationals. But I know it involves a little bit of imagination to get there. Yeah, I, I don't think that's like a crazy theory that you have with that. I mean, I, I know for me, from a Nationals perspective, so there is this like extreme joy right now, if you are a Commanders fan. I mean, there are people celebrating. There have been people crying over this, if you can believe that. I mean, the last 24 years with Dan as owner of the team have been horrendous. Way too many losses, way too much dysfunction, way too many controversies, way too many scandals, way too many investigations. I mean, on and on I can go. I think everyone listening knows the deal. But you see this joy, you perhaps experience this joy. And it does make you think of if slash when the Nationals get sold. And right now, the sale of the Nats is essentially on hold. But if slash when that happens, what will that be like? What will that mean? Now, the learners are not Dan Snyder, okay? Dan Snyder has been an atrocious pro sports owner. The learners have not been atrocious pro sports owners. I actually think you can make the case that the learners have been good owners. Okay, now there are nits to pick and there are definite instances in which the learners have uh, done things that uh, make you scratch your head and uh, can annoy you as a fan. You know, the deferred money has turned people off. The ads from 2006 through 2010 were not good and there were a lot of things going on in terms of lack of spending on infrastructure that bothered people. I'm sure if you ever sit down and have a cocktail with Mike Rizzo, he can tell you a bunch of stuff off the record in terms of things that he's had to deal with with the learners. But bottom line, 2012 through 2019, eight consecutive winning seasons, a bunch of postseason appearances, and of course, a World Series championship. The learners every season had the Nats as a team that was in the upper half of MLB in payroll. You know, I think if you're being fair and objective, the learners have done a lot of good things as owners of the Nats. So when they sell the team, whenever that is, I mean, I think those things should be acknowledged and it's not going to be, you know, like people want to throw a parade the way that they do for Dan Snyder. At the same time, this lame duck status of Nats ownership isn't good. It isn't healthy. And whenever the Nats come out of this rebuild and are good again, and that day will come, it's just a question of when, it kind of seems like you're not going to get to that point, or at least it's going to be more difficult to get to that point without new ownership that can breathe fresh air into the team 
that can be a willing, maybe even aggressive spender in free agency when the Nats are ready to spend again in free agency. And when it comes to the rebuild doing well, having new ownership that's very willing and aggressive to spend on infrastructure to whatever extent the Nats need to further their spending on infrastructure, I think that matters too. And so seeing what's happening with the commanders and as a fan of the commanders experiencing what's happening with the commanders, it just makes me think about, man, it will be awesome when the Nats get sold. The problem, of course, is we have no idea when that will be. And it may be a while, as in years. I I don't know if you came across this. So Kent Rosenthal of The Athletic, uh, he had this in a piece uh, like a week or so ago. Quote, the Nationals almost certainly will not be sold until their dispute with the Orioles over local television rights fees is resolved. Heaven knows when that will happen. The dispute is more than a decade old and, as I've written before, is baseball's equivalent of the 100 years war. In the meantime, though, the Nats project to be one of the worst teams in baseball and their entire operation is pretty much on hold. End quote. How about that last part? Their entire operation is pretty much on hold. That's not healthy. That's not good. And that needs to change. The problem, though, is we don't know when that will change. Of course, it's a bad situation. But I'm just saying, Al, just from uh, I think the football team, the good news just helps this city's sports ecosystem top to bottom. And I do think that that will help the Washington Nationals. I will also say you talk about the Hundred Years War and all that stuff. You remember the uh, dugout that I used to co-host with Tom Lavero on Sports Talk 570 years back? The first show that he and I ever had together was November of 2013, okay? The opening topic was, when is the Masson situation going to get settled? It feels like it's been going on forever. So that gives you my thoughts on how long this situation is going to take. I hear everything you're saying, and I have no refute to any of it, but I just think... Overall, if you root for DC sports, even if you're not a fan of the commanders, I think this week was a great one. I'm with you. And I've always been a believer in, you know, you're allowed to really like all of these teams. Like it doesn't have to be either or. And I at times have sensed this uh, almost like rivalry between, say, commanders fans and nationals fans. And there are nationals fans who hate the football team, and there are football team fans who hate the baseball team. And I'm like, why? Like, can't we all just get along? Like, it's Washington, D.C. sports. And, you know, I think a big part of that has been Dan Snyder. You know, Dan Snyder has been so despised. And I think a lot of people are just like, well, I don't like him, and so I don't like the team. And, you know, there's more to it than just that. Dan Snyder and the learners do not get along. Okay, that that has been confirmed now. I was told by someone in 2019 when the Skins were having an awful season and the Nats uh, were on their way to a World Series championship that Dan and Bruce Allen, who was the Skins uh, team president at the time, were not happy that the Nats were doing well, were like annoyed at the success of the Nationals. You know, I would bet at least in part because that success made the Skins look even worse. So it's like, You know, you've had this unhealthy relationship between the football team and the baseball team. I think it'd be great if the football team and the baseball team got along better. And we have seen some more like social media interaction between the two teams in recent years, like the the teams will tweet at each other. So that's been nice. But, you know, I, I would love to see maybe like events at which we see the football team and the baseball team maybe have like their star players co-mingling and hanging out with fans. You know, there are all kinds of things you can do, but it doesn't have to be either or. You don't have to pick one or the other. Like you can love both, embrace both, and it'd be awesome if both were great. So we'll see uh, when that happens. 
You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Nats chat podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show, uh, email Tim at Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. And uh, you can always contact the show and listen to episodes of the show at our new website, Nats chat podcast. You can also get yourself or someone who you know a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to our website, NatsChatPodcast.com. All radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A salute to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit TimNewmark.com. For Tim Shovers, I'm Al Galdi. Mark will be back with me for the next installment of the podcast. We thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Take advantage, however, as Tanner Blankenhorn hit into a double play to end the inning. This one hit the other way, but it's going to be in the gap in left center, and it takes off and then booted by the center fielder, Cameron Eden, into second base, Darren Baker. He was going to get a double anyway, so there won't be an error on the play. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.